For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Um, yeah, good morning. Um, my name is Christy. I'm on staff here part-time at New Life, and this is Michelle, who is also on staff part-time here at New Life. Um, and we are going to do the three-ish things. So this is where we just want to let you know what's going on around church. So first one is the Lord's Pantry. So we're going to take our Lord's Pantry offering this morning. We do this once a month. Um, and the Lord's Pantry is um, sort of a ministry that I kind of help manage and um, sort of and most involved with. And so what this is, is this is solely funded by the church. So there's, this is not a budgeted ministry, so it's all your, all your generosity. And what it is, is we use this money to buy groceries. We have a, an actual food pantry um, out in the hallway here, and we pack hampers of food. And I, I'm here three days a week, and I would say probably at least two of them. Uh, someone will come by and just say, I heard that you can give me food. And I get to, I get to meet them, I get to give them food, and I get to pray for them and then send them on their way knowing. And if you were listening to the dailies this week, Pastor Scott um, touched on a passage in Matthew 25, I believe, where it talks about Jesus uh, separating in judgment the, uh, the, the lambs, the sheep and the goats. And he said to the sheep, you know, you will come with me for when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was sick or in prison, you visited me. And this is really a ministry that very tangibly recognizes that we are called to meet the needs, the physical, tangible needs of people. And so um, we also, in emergent needs, we have helped people pay bills so that they don't get evicted. Um, we can, sometimes we give out uh, gas cards and even grocery hampers, or grocery cards rather, so that people can go buy themselves fresh food. Um, so I'm really, really passionate about this one because I see it every day at work, the need. And I have had people that would come every month and then they come in one month and they said, I, I've got a house, I've got a place, I've got a job, and I haven't seen them since. And so it's, it's something where we can come alongside people and give them a little bit of dignity. Um, so I'd really encourage you, uh, there'll be a little baskets at the back on the way out if you prefer to give cash, there's all these ways. So if you felt led, that's what that ministry is all about. So next week we have Easter Sunday. And we're really looking forward to holding our daybreak service um, on Easter Sunday. And that is going to be at 6 a.m. sharp at the Cowichan Bay Marina Gateway Park for scripture and worship. But we're also going to have some baptisms. And if you have been thinking about getting baptized, I would encourage you to talk to Pastor Scott. I don't know, Christy. I, I think what a better way to get baptized than 6 a.m. in the ocean on Easter Sunday. Nice Love chilly day, in the ocean. Right? <laughs> so if you're interested, see Pastor Scott. Good. And the last one is just more of a housekeeping note. Um, the coffee bar is now open, which is fantastic. And we're seeing lots more funds come in, which again, if you're new or not aware, all of the money raised from the coffee bar actually goes straight back down to a cool to the region that we're sponsoring with Food for the Hungry. So we buy the beans there support the farmers, and then all the money goes back to a cool. So love that. Great to have it open. But it does close at 9.55 or five minutes before the service. So next week, there'll be two services. So if you want a coffee, get here early so that our coffee bar volunteers can get into the service with us. And that's it. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Ladies, uh, my name is Scott Hemingway, and I'm the interim pastor here. If you're visiting with us this morning, it's great to have you with us. One of the things that is exciting is when we as a church are able to bring families up here and we do what we call a baby dedication. And we're going to do that this morning. And I just want to give us just a little bit of a, well, what is that all about? And what a baby dedication is about is more about the parents and us as a congregation making a commitment to uh, help raise these children in a way in which they will one day seek to follow the Lord. And, uh, and so it's a privilege for us to do that. And it's good to, for us to be able to see these families and see these children. And, and um, I want to know this. How many of you sitting here, you don't remember this, but your parents told you you, were, you, were, you had a baby dedication? Who's, look, okay, look, 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 look around, keep your hand up, all right? So, uh, yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, We've, uh, we've done this for many years. So today is a little bit special because I'm asking Alicia to come up 
and uh, she is going to help me do this. Actually, I'm going to help her uh, do this this morning, and I'm going to turn it over to her, and she's going to do most of it, and I'm going to do uh, the last little bit. Um, good morning, church. I'm the youth director here at New Life, and I am honored to do this baby dedication because I'm their auntie. So I'm going to invite my sister and brother-in-law and the twins, Avery and Ezra, up here for this baby dedication. Um, first off, this is like weddings and baby dedications and baptisms yeah. are like the highlights, right? They are. And then the fact that I'm auntie and I get to do this is even more like an honor. Um, so something we do here at New Life is we look up the meaning of the baby's name. Uh, and so can I take Mr. Avery? He's right here. This is Avery. Oh, look at that. Avery you have a funny name, but we, the meaning of his name is elf counselor. We dropped the elf part and we focused on the word counselor. Cause like, nah, you're human, good. Uh, and, and what we do is we, we look up a verse that, um, goes, that, that goes with this meaning. And so we looked up Psalm 16 and Mr. Avery, this is your verse we're, we're giving to you. Uh, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand and I shall not be shaken. So Mr. Avery, that's for you. Church, this is Avery. Yeah, yeah. Say hi. Yeah. These people, these people are going to be praying for you. Hey, little man. All right, shall we get your brother? Here we go. All right, Ezra. Oh, I know. A lot of tossing around. Now, Mr. Ezra, your name is Helper. Yeah, are you a helper? And the verse we picked for you is, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your perp precepts. Psalms 119, 173. And something really cool about that one too, Mr. Ezra, is your namesake wrote that Psalms. He's a pretty cool guy. So we pray that over you. Okay. So, ooh, the next word's apparent. Yes, there we are. There we go, there we go. So... By coming, as you as the parents, so by coming forward today before God and his people, do you declare your desire to dedicate yourself to raising Avery and Ezra in the ways of the Lord? Mm -hmm. I think there's one more. Oh, and do you parents, you're right, commit by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Avery and Ezra as a, a Christian home of love and peace to raise them in truth and the Lord's instruction and discipline, and to encourage them to one day trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Excellent. And so it's our turn as a church. And um, why don't we stand uh, as a church? And, um, <clears throat> and for us, this is where we look to make a commitment. Do we as a church body commit to support Avery and Ezra in encouraging them to walk in the abundant life that Christ offers as God has so gifted us to do? Do we commit to be faithful in our calling as members of the body of Christ to help John and Sarah to be faithful to God and to help teach and train these boys in the ways of the Lord so that they might one day trust him as Savior and Lord? Do you want to pray for them? I thank you for the gift of children. I thank you that uh, you are equipping them to be the next generation that leads. God, I pray that you give Sarah and John the wisdom to walk with you as they teach these kids your glorious ways. And Lord, I pray as these two boys grow that they will walk in the spirit so faithfully. Thank you for the blessings that they are and the blessing that they will be. 
May they know you so deeply. In your name, amen. Is um, is good this morning that we're just be able to come and worship and praise the Lord. And before uh, this morning, uh, we have a we have a guest speaker, Larry Schramm, who is our uh, area representative for our district. And I've asked him to come and speak this morning and deliver a message. And he's going to do that. But before he does that, I would just like us as a church just to spend some time in prayer. And uh, so would you join me? as I will lead us in opportunities and moments just to uh, be quiet and pray uh, within your heart as God would lead you in certain areas. So let's do that this morning. As we begin our time this morning, uh, just in prayer, uh, may our hearts be filled with praise, adoration, and thanksgiving. Let us spend time before the Lord thanking him the many blessings that we have received, maybe throughout this week, or what is to come. Lord, we do thank you that you are a good God, a great God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, even in the midst of the trial and the storms and the tribulation that we face, you do not leave us. You are with us. I think it's always good this time of year as we, we approach Easter, that there are people that are searching, they're longing for meaning in life, understanding what is the purpose of their life. And Easter can be a time that people search. Maybe you've been talking to somebody about the Lord. Maybe you've just been living your life before them, loving them. Spend a few moments this morning praying for, for your friends, your family, that you may do, do not know, but they need to know Jesus. So just spend some time praying for these people this morning. Lord, you know every heart. You know every situation. You know those this morning who are seeking and searching for you and those who are not. Father, we know that you are the one who is the master healer. You are the one who draws people to yourself. You are the one, Lord, who saves. And may we be found faithful in loving you and serving you in being a light and a life to those around that will show that Jesus, you did and you have come. You died on the cross and you rose from the grave. Lord, I thank you for uh, the opportunity we have together this morning as a church to hear Larry. And as he comes and he speaks, Lord, I thank you that this man looks to serve you, to know you, and to make you known. As your spirit is upon him, May our ears hear what we need to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's great to have you uh, this morning here. Larry, you, do you need a... Okay, I'll lift that up. Okay, you lift it up. Fantastic. It's good. Thank you, Scott. You're welcome. Good to be here. One, one thing, I... I, I 
I meant to do this when I first stood up here. We, we have some people online uh, this morning because we have gone live and we're going to be doing this for Easter. And I just want to welcome them. Thank you for being here this morning and uh, being, being online with us and being part of our church family. So thank, thank you. you. Indeed, I also want to greet those online uh, who are with us this morning as well. If I can get the PowerPoint up, that would be fantastic. Thank you so much. And um, I need to push this button there. It vibrated. It's going to work now. Fantastic. I bring you greetings from the larger family of churches to which you belong, the Canadian Baptists. Now, in Canada right now, there's five very large Baptist families. There's more than five, but the five largest are these. Uh, there's the Canadian National Baptists, which are really the Southern Baptists in Canada because they realized when they started to plant churches here that they were having a little bit of difficulty as Southern Baptists in a country that sings the true North strong and free. And so they changed their name from Southern Baptist to Canadian National Baptist, and they're doing great work, and they're growing fast, and God is using them, and people are coming to Christ, and I say thanks be to God. Then there's the North American Baptists, which used to be called the German Baptists, and we actually had a long relationship with them for quite a while. We're looking at trying to do seminary work together until some personalities got in the way and that fell by the wayside. Have you walked with Christ enough, by the way, long enough to know how personalities get in the way of things and mess things up from time to time? And then we had the General Conference Baptists, which were originally the Swedish Baptists. And again, both the North American and the General Conference, they're doing great work. God is using them. And then we have the Fellowship Baptists, which, by the way, the Fellowship Baptists self-define as the fighting Baptists. I'm serious. When, when they get together for their conferences and their annual gatherings, this is like a family reunion gone wrong. And then everyone gets together and says, it's so good to see you again. Isn't it wonderful what God is doing? And they used to be with us back till the 1920s when we had a major fight and we split apart, and the Fellowship Baptists were born, and we continued on. And we used to be called the Baptist Union, tipping our hat to our heritage coming out of Great Britain as the Baptist Union of Great Britain or Scotland or Wales or still in existence, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, and so on. But about 12 years ago, we changed from the Baptist Union to the Canadian Baptists for a very simple reason. When you hear the word union, what do you think of? People thought we were a Christian labor movement, and they kept calling and asking if we would represent them with their negotiations. And I'm serious. And, and so we changed their name to the Canadian Baptists, and we never really organized nationally. We've always organized regionally. We have 900 and some churches coast to coast. In Atlantic Canada, that's the first region. In Quebec, which is our a Canadian Baptist group in Quebec, which are French-speaking churches. And then we have the Canadian Baptists of Ontario and Quebec, which is all of our new church plants with our new Canadians as well as the English-speaking people. And then the group to which we belong, which is Western Canada. So from Manitoba to British Columbia, from the American border to the Arctic Circle, that's our territory. And I'm the regional minister for British Columbia, Yukon, which means that we've got about 60 congregations that I pray for and try to encourage to which you are one. Now there, isn't that clear? Didn't, didn't that just warm the cockles of your heart and make you really excited to be a Baptist? I mean, the reality is that we hear these labels, but they don't mean much to us. And so I just want to take a moment and, and just try to um, help you to understand this. You see, at the heart of real Christianity, at the absolute core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you're Baptist or Anglican or Christian Missionary Alliance or Pentecostal or Mennonite or whatever it is. There are a number of things that are absolutely foundational to that that you just cannot avoid. You've got three symbols up here on the platform for those of you online who can't see it. You, you have the cross, you have a baptistry, and you have the elements of the Lord's Supper. And all of those, just in case you don't remember, are about Jesus. When you ask Christ into your life as Savior and Lord, 
and you enter into a relationship with him and you start to feel comfortable with calling yourself a Christian, it means that your life is fully identified with Jesus. It means that when you look at the cross, you think that's where my Savior died. And my life is identified with his life, his death, his resurrection, ascension, and return. My life is fully and completely identified with Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior. The verse we read this morning that we're teaching our kids is bang on about that, by, by the way. And my life is all about Jesus Christ. And so I will take up my cross and follow him, which just in case we have forgotten means that all the things that pull me away from Jesus, I am willing to crucify them. Because I want my life fully enmeshed in Jesus. When we get baptized, you are baptized into the body of Christ. The people who baptize you ask you the question, is Christ your Lord and Savior? Hallelujah! And then you get slam dunk for Jesus in the ocean. If you haven't done it before, I strongly encourage you to do it. Have your life fully enmeshed and entrenched in Christ. When we come to the Lord's Supper, communion, I mean, we need to really stop and recognize the reality of this and the true truth of this. It is all about Jesus Christ. The bread represents his body. The cup represents his blood. And it reminds us over and over and over again, as Paul reminds us, to remember it is all about... Now, how about if you say it like you mean it this time? It is all about... Now, see, here's the thing. I'm a Baptist minister, and I oversee Baptist ministers, and I ordain Baptist ministers, and I test Baptist ministers' theology, but I don't really care if you're a Baptist. Rob Ogilvie, my boss, I'm so sorry. But here's what I want you to know. I want you to know Jesus. I want your life fully enmeshed and entrenched in Jesus. In the cross, in the Lord's Supper, in the baptism, it is all about Jesus. Now, just one more thing. I hold a Bible in my hand here, and I know that many of you have got one. In fact, a lot of us have multiple versions, and we've got them on our phones, and we can access them with just the click of a button, which I think is absolutely wonderful. But I've lived long enough and I've walked with Jesus long enough that I've met all kinds of Christians who want to treat their Bibles like this. And this is a positive thing. Please don't take this the wrong way. They want to stand on the word. And, and, and I get it. I understand it. I'm with you there. They want the authority of the word to be the place where they stand. And they want the Bible to be what their life is all about. Do I hear an amen to that, by the way? But the struggle I've noticed with people who stand on the word is this, is they spend most of their time looking for passages that they want to use as weapons to try to convince someone else. And if you have your Bible here today, even if it's on a cell phone form, would you take it out, please? Whatever you do, do not check Facebook, Instagram, newsfeed right now if it's on your cell phone, but take it out or take, take your Bible in your hand just like this. If you have your physical Bible here or your cell phone, I want you to hold it over your head like this. You know what this means? We live under the book. The authority of this book over our lives means that our lives are in compliance with the authority of God's word. And when we know Jesus and we know the word, then we are free. Thanks be to God. Now, if you're really tired today and you need to sleep and you don't want to listen to me anymore, go ahead, have a nap. That's the best part anyway. Everything from here on in is something else entirely. But what I want you to do right now is I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to open them to Matthew 21. We're going to read the passage of the triumphal entry. I understand you've been studying the book of Matthew over the last little while, and I just want to fit right into that. 
on this Palm Sunday, Matthew 21, beginning at verse 1. And I am reading from the New Living Translation today. You can read from whatever is your favorite. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. I love that question. Who is this? And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thus far in the reading of God's word. Now, I want to just walk you through some of the big picture things behind this. And I warn you now, I'm a bit of a Bible geek I really love to be able to deal with the background of a passage because it makes it come alive. When you understand the geography behind some of these passages, it changes things for you. When you understand that Bethphage, where the donkey and the colt was tied, literally means house of the early fig. And later in this chapter, when you read Jesus going looking for figs and can't find them, and curses a fig tree as an act of prophecy. It takes on new meaning. You know why he was there and what the significance of that name is. When you notice that, he says, if they ask you who has the donkey, tell them the Lord needs it. That's a word that's going to take on massive significance in the rest of the New Testament that just increasingly echoes down through the pages. It's, again, the verse the kids are memorizing today. The Lord Jesus Christ. That word Lord means sovereign. And it becomes increasingly apparent and increasingly a reality of the New Testament. In Romans 10, we read that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is, same word, or Philippians 2, where we come to the scriptures where Paul writes that incredible passage that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is? Same word. Or in 1 Peter 3, in your heart set apart Christ as? Same word. Jesus here is owning the word. He's owning the title, and its significance echoing down through the rest of the New Testament is profound. We need to stop and recognize that. We need to recognize that all of the stuff with the donkey and the colt that in some of the other gospel accounts feels a little bit like a James Bond episode because of all the secrecy involved is to fulfill prophecy from Zechariah 9.9 that the king is going to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Wow. We begin to grasp this stuff and we understand what's going on with this passage that Jesus is being revealed in a powerful, powerful way. But part of this is we simply need to stop and recognize some of the ge geography behind this. This is a cross-section of what the hills around Jerusalem are like. And if you're going to walk from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's about 15 miles, about 25 kilometers. It's a 3,000-foot elevation gain. You're climbing the entire way. And if you ever want to really kind of get a taste of this or an experience of this, go to the Okanagan Valley in the summer. 
go to Vesuvius or Oliver on a hot July day and it's about 37 degrees Celsius and start picking any mountain and start climbing up it on your own. And you're going to get a really good sense of what this is like because you're constantly climbing up that road on a hot, hot, dry day and they have been traveling on a road like this. And when we read about how they're going up toward Jerusalem, it is literally going up toward Jerusalem. They're walking up that road, which is why when we come to Psalms 120 to 134, the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms of Climbing, these are the songs that the people of Israel sang as they walked up that road toward Jerusalem. And they would have been singing some of them as they walked up that road on Passover because that's what you did. You prepared your heart when you went to the temple to worship God and you sang the songs of discipleship that Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. And you're walking up that road, climbing the entire way through the heat, singing what a wonderful thing it was to be of the people of Israel and to know that God was on his throne and he could go to his temple to worship him. And Jesus is part of that crowd, heading toward Jerusalem, heading for the Passover. And he gets right to the top of the mountain, which is the backside of the Mount of Olives, and right on the top of the mountain on the other side is Bethany and Bethphage, where we know those two little villages are there. Bethany is where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived. And it's where Lazarus was raised from the dead. It's where Mary anoints his feet. And Bethphage is just a mile or two down the road where the donkey is there and the crowds are following Jesus all the way along and they're coming out of Jerusalem and they're meeting him there and you go up over the top of the mountain and you come to the other side and you look down into the Kidron Valley and across the way is the city of Jerusalem and you're higher than it. And you can see the temple. And you can see the golden vine all across the walls of the temple with all the branches. And when Jesus in John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Oh my goodness, there's right, right there, living object lesson, larger than life. And Jesus gets to that place in Luke's gospel and he weeps. He cries. Because he knows what's going to happen to this city. It is astonishing. It is amazing when you begin to put the background together. And for the coming week, what we call the Holy Week, between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is going to go back and forth between Jerusalem and Bethany. He's going to walk that road back and forth multiple times going in and out of the city. And when you understand the geography and you begin to get this, you can put yourself in the story. And the scriptures become alive for you at that point in time. So what's this really all about? Well, it's about this. Jesus is intentionally declaring his identity to the nation. Up until now, every single time when he performed a miracle, don't, don't tell anybody about it. Just between us. People would go and tell anyway. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That's right. Just us, disciples. We got it. We understand. We get it. But beginning here... And all the way through to when he hangs upon the cross of Calvary, Jesus is revealing his identity as the Messiah. And it's amazing. It is profound. It is astonishing. See, the people of Israel were divided over what the Messiah was supposed to be and do. Some people thought, well, the Messiah is going to be the great prophet. He's going to be the one who's going to come. He's going to take us back to the Word of God. He's going to tell us what we really need to do. He's going to tell us how we really have to live. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to be the great and final prophet who's going to come and bring everything back. And other people go, yeah, yeah, probably. But, you know, what he's really going to be is he's going to be a priest. He's going to come along. He's going to clean up the temple. He's going to really tell us all about God. Our hearts are going to be on fire when he speaks, and we're going to know the law of God again. We're going to know the word of God again. We're going to find healing at the temple again. We're going to sense the presence of God again. The Messiah, yeah, he might be a prophet, but he's really going to be a priest. And other people are going, oh, no, 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 time out. You've got to read Zechariah. You've got to read Isaiah. You've got to understand when the Messiah comes, he's going to be the king, and those Romans are going to be gone. And all the voices nattering, like this, like this, like this. Which, by the way, is still happening today. 
When Jesus comes back, it'll be like this. No, no, no. When Jesus comes back, it'll be like this. No, no, no. When Jesus comes back, it'll be like this. What's it going to really be like? We don't know. But we do know this. He is coming back. Why? Because Larry said so? No, no, no. Because Jesus said so. You see, this nattering that we struggle with so much in the church in 2022, it's got to be like this. Church has to be like this. No, church has to be like this. No, church must be like that. No, church must be like this. It's been going on for a long, long, long time. I'm sure that you have none of that here in this congregation. I'm sure that none of you have differences of, of opinion of how church should be run or what it should feel like or how we should or should not engage our community. I'm sure that doesn't happen in New Life Duncan at all, right? But just on the outside chance that you know someone in a different church that has those struggles, please know you're in good company. It's been going on for a long time. And what Jesus does when he actually begins to reveal himself in this amazing way, in this passage, he reveals himself not as one above the other, but as all three simultaneously. He is the Messiah who fulfills the role of the prophet and the priest and the king. It's amazing. You see, he's going to be revealed in the most astonishing way. I just want to walk you very quickly through this in this passage this morning. Here's the first one, being revealed as the prophet. In fact, the final verse I read this morning from verse 11 indicates that they considered him a prophet, and they considered him a prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. But when you actually begin to see what unfolds in the coming chapters and all the rest of the way through Matthew, we see this incredible understanding of Jesus' prophecy where he's warning against hypocrisy, against the practice of saying one thing but doing something else entirely, of missing the point completely as we think we're actually teaching God's word. And he issues the seven words against the seven woes against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because he wants them to understand how you can completely miss the mark. And they have. And he's doing so as a prophet. And he warns of the destruction of the temple and of end times. And in fact, in Matthew's gospel, it is the greatest concentration of what the final days will look like outside the book of Revelation. Jesus is the prophet. He's the Messiah. He's revealing himself all throughout these days as the one who knows the future and knows the will of God, which is why when he stands on the hillside and sees the city of Jerusalem in Luke's gospel, he starts to cry because he knows it's going to fall. And he knows that in A.D. 72, the Romans are going to raise it to the ground. He knows the loss and the brokenness that's going to come. But Jesus, on this Palm Sunday, when he rides in the city of Jerusalem, he reveals himself as the prophet. He also reveals himself as the priest. We could, in the same way, go through the passage I just went through and show you the big picture of how he did this. But I only need to give you one example it comes in the very next passage where Jesus cleanses the temple. Where he just gets so upset over what's happening in the temple of God that he picks up a whip and he goes after people. Now for those of us who love Jesus and who always picture him as kind and meek and gentle and mild and the ultimate Canadian, really, I want you to remember this. See, the role of a priest is tied to the temple. It's tied to teaching the law. It's tied to finding healing. And what does Jesus do in the chapters? He heals people. He teaches the law. He cleanses the temple. And he reminds people of the need to pray. Brothers and sisters, hear me very carefully. We live in a time right now which I believe God is doing an incredible work in his church in Canada. And part of his work right now is he's cleansing his church. 
Right now, across all of Canada, attendance has gone down by 30 to 40%. Not only because of COVID, but because a significant number of people are saying, I'm not really sure that I believe this anymore. I'm not really sure I know Jesus. I'm not really sure I ever did. Now, if that stirs your heart to say, I need to pray for those people, I thank God for you. If that stirs your heart so you feel motivated to go and talk to someone to say, you need a relationship with Jesus, I thank God for you. But if you hear that and you're mad at somebody in leadership in the church because they allowed those 30% to go, I need to pray for you. Because just as Jesus cleansed the temple, I believe God is cleansing his church for the great awakening that is about to come. I believe the greatest days of the church in Canada are yet before us. But they are for the people of God who know that they are rooted, grounded, and established in Christ and in Christ alone. Do you hear me? That cross is about Christ alone. The Lord's Supper is about Christ alone. Being baptized is about Christ alone. It is not about some carefully nuanced declaration of how you define yourself as a Christian. It is about Jesus. And completely. Jesus is also ultimately revealed as the king, Lord, sovereign, the one who is all-sufficient. We see it so clearly in the passage. I've highlighted the key words for you. Your king comes to you. Only Jerusalem and the people of Israel didn't recognize it. He truly was the son of David. He was the rightful king of kings. He was the one who truly could claim kingship of Israel. Yet they didn't recognize it. And I sometimes wonder if in the church in Canada in 2022 we've got the same problem. You see, a lot of us have lost all understanding of sovereignty. We've lost all understanding of kingship. We've lost all understanding of lordship because we're democratic. And in one sense, I'm glad to be in a democracy. I, I love it. I, I love the fact that it doesn't matter who you are or how much education you have or money you have or successful you are or don't have, that we're all together in this thing. We all get the same voice and the same vote. I love that. Do you? But the struggle is, is we lose sight of what it means to be king and lord. And we lose sight of what it means when Jesus claims that on your life and on mine. And that's why it's crucial that you and I are a people who live under the book. That when my life is out of alignment with what the book says, the book is right and I'm wrong. That when my understanding of Jesus is out of alignment with the book, the book is right and I'm wrong. That when I think I need to have a carefully nuanced shade of Christianity in order for me to have my own personal identity, <laughs> the book is right and it's all about Christ and Christ alone. And my desire for anything else is wrong. I live under the book. Do you? See, I meet Christians all the time these days who love hyphenated Christianity. I think you know what I mean. It's been around for a long, long time. Right now, they'll self-define as, well, I'm a progressive Christian, or I'm a neo-reformed Christian, or I'm a Canadian nationalist Christian, or I'm a complementarian Christian, or I'm an egalitarian Christian, 
or I'm an LGBTQ-affirming Christian, or I'm LGBTQ-non-affirming Christian. And we want all of these nuanced understandings, these shades of things about what it means to be with Jesus. And if you hear nothing else I say this morning, please hear this. It's dangerous to have hyphenated Christianity. Because way too many of us are more in love with the first word than we are with the second word. We're more in love with being reformed than we are in love with Christ. We're more in love with being progressive than we are in love with Jesus. We're more in love with our nuanced definitions than we are with simply yielding to Christ and following him and living under the authority of the book. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on that colt, he's revealing himself as prophet, as priest and king, the one who fulfilled the law, the one we owe our allegiance to. I'm just going to close in just a moment here. So why is this important? What difference does this make in 2022? Way back at the dawn of time, when I still had a full head of hair, I took a class at Regent College long before it was Regent College. Back then it was a broken down frat house and a trailer on a piece of property at UBC. Yeah, I'm that old. And J.I. Packer was one of my profs. Taught systematic theology. One of the most boring people I've ever listened to in all my life. But man, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. He's now with the Lord. And here's what J.I. Packer had to say about this. It is glory, Jesus' glory, given him by the Father to be, in this way, the all-sufficient Savior. Would you say those four words with me in unison, please? the all-sufficient Savior. We who believe are called to understand this and to show ourselves His people. This is what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus. We show ourselves to be His people by obeying Him as our King, trusting Him as our priest, and learning from Him as our prophet and teacher. To center on Jesus Christ in this way is the hallmark of authentic Christianity. Do I hear an amen? amen? See, the world does not need more nuanced Christianity. We don't need more hyphens. We don't need more shades of truth. We just need authentic Christians who are willing to accept Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king, and to have our lives fully and completely immersed in him. When we grasp this, it changes everything as we enter into this holy week. And this is the last slide, and I will close here. When we realize who this really is, it means that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our all-sufficient Savior. And so many of the things that are going to happen in the rest of the gospel story between now and Resurrection Sunday take on so much meaning. Every time I read John 19, where Jesus, on the last thing on the cross, says, it is finished, I read that and I cry. You know why? Your salvation is guaranteed by Jesus Christ. Your sin is taken care of. The separation between God and us is forever gone. It is done. It is finished. It is complete. And thanks be to God, you and I cannot undo it. It's done. Why? Because Christ is our prophet, priest, and king, and he did it, and it is finished. Thanks be to God. It's done. It's over. Hallelujah. I thank God for that. I don't have to add anything to it. I just have to say, Jesus, thank you for it, and I will follow you forever because of it. Every single time I come to Resurrection Sunday and I get to that, that morning where they go to the grave to try to find him and the angels are standing there, and they, I, I wish I was there. 
I wish I had a time machine that I could go back and stand there on that Resurrection Sunday and know enough about first century Aramaic to be able to watch the facial expressions. They get to the grave and the angels are standing there. Well, what do you mean you're here looking for him? He's gone ahead of you into Galilee just as he... Would you say those four words with me? Just as he said. He's a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. And what that means is that every promise he has ever made, he will keep. Just as he said. That's why I want to read Philippians chapter 1 and Paul's incredible words in verse 6 where he says, we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Just as he said. Wow. Wow. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where we know the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And again, if you're thinking about getting baptized, next Sunday morning in the ocean, it is worth getting cold for Jesus. Trust me. And we know it all. We've memorized it all. We've taught it to our kids. But don't miss the very next phrase. I am with you. That means that nothing can separate you and me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus Nothing, because he is with us. New life, when you and gather here, he's here. He's in this place. He's with you. And that's why I leave you with this. Behold your king, who is the one who holds you in the palm of his hand and has you covered and will be with you always. And therefore, I say, the greatest days of this church are yet to come. Because Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer? And worship team, if you want to make your way up. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We honor you and we glorify you. For Jesus Christ, the prophet, the priest, the king, our all-sufficient Savior, may we see him in a new way. May we live under the authority of your book until our lives are fully aligned with Christ and Christ alone. To him be the glory, now and forevermore. And all God's people said,